Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Well, it looks like News Corp might have finally pulled off the nigh impossible. That's convincing its diverse, ferociously independent and feisty business units from publishing mastheads to KO, Binge, Foxtel and REA to collaborate on an ambitious centralised data and single user ID program. News reckons it's now ahead of arch rival Nine and squarely hunting big tech with circa 16 million audience IDs. Uh, it's got a video commerce play to boot that seems like it might actually work and an audience advertiser customer matching and targeting initiative that rivals the biggest. News Corp has been playing catch up in the market on a United Data and a single audience user ID offer across its portfolio. But if the architects of the new plan are right, that is all history. So to unpack the what and how of News Corp's master plan, I'm joined by former Nine and Fairfax exec Pippa Leary, now News Corp's Managing Director, Client Product, and Susie Cardwell, General Manager of Client Product and Strategy. Uh, welcome to you both. This should be an interesting one. Pippa Leary, to you first. Um, the top line, Pippa, what the hell have you, Susie, and the team done? It's big, and clearly you don't think it's too late. Uh, welcome, Pippa. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Look, it's definitely not too late. I think what's really important to understand about what news has announced is that it's not a coming soon and it's not a lot of smoke and mirrors. Actually, Susie and the team in the background have been building really robust single source data and identity program now for a number of years. I fortunately just came along at uh, exactly the right time when we needed to corral it all and launch it. But really, the work has been done by Susie and the team. They had a very, very clear vision. Everybody knew that you needed a large addressable ecosystem in order to compete in this new world, especially with the global platforms. And what we've witnessed is an arms race, you know, everyone rushing to claim a big number. Claiming a big number is one thing, but actually, if you don't have a lot of daily active users and you do not have high match rates, it's actually quite meaningless. So what Susie and the team have built is not only the regional CDP, which allows us to resolve to these single IDs and understand who our audience are as individuals, anonymized individuals, they've also built another program which we call Customer Match. And by hooking up with NIA and getting access to those 16 million email addresses off those 16 million devices, they've massively increased the scale at which they can match against our customer emails. And that is the game changer really in this announcement. Um, obviously, the CDP gets a lot of press because Susie did the, you know, the impossible and, and herded the cats into a bag. And, and now we've got this wonderful system that lies behind us. But really layering over near is what gave it the massive scale and puts us head to head with Google and Facebook. Right. So this, just to be clear, Pippa, this is where 
the global platforms, as you call them, this is where they've made a lot of headway is in this matching yes. capability between what a company has in its database for customers yes. and how they can target outside their own media cha- and their own channels yes. to the outside world. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about customer matching, yeah? That's exactly what we're talking about with customer matching. And it's two aspects. We can not only match off your current customer database as you upload it into ours, or we, we put them in a clean room together, but we can also then understand more about your customers and then go and do lookalike matching. So we can recognize the behaviors of other parts of our audience who are not yet your customers, but they really qualify as very hot leads and hot prospects, and we can bring those to you. And this all works so well because we have a very high customer match rate, and we also have just the scale of emails to match against. I just want to also clear up, um, just for the listener, in case, um, like me, maybe not as informed or in touch with it, where all the tech is going, uh, Pippa, but when you talk about a regional CDP, firstly, CDP is a customer data platform as opposed to a data management platform. Yes. But a regional CDP, this is not sort of a geopolitical territory here. You're talking about your portfolio, I guess. Is that right? Yes, yes. It was just a way for us to describe the fact that it wasn't just a News Corp Australia customer data platform. We've actually been able to bring in the Foxtel group and the REA group. It really stretches across our region being Australia and it does so. It's very many and varied. And because news and some of, you know, when you're looking for a house and also when you're watching Foxtel, because a lot of that is daily habits, we actually get a really wonderful and diverse amount of daily active users. And that's what gives us the strength in that regional CDP. It might be a little cheeky, but I'm going to ask anyway. I mean, you have done this in a previous life at Uh, Nine. What is the difference between News Corp and Nine with this initiative? Is there a difference? Yeah, definitely there is a difference. So Nine is using logins coming in through Nine Now. We're actually using, as the start in the regional CDP, the logins that come across right across all of those three, you know, huge businesses. But then, you know, the stroke of brilliance that Susie brought to it, she has then added to that the near identity database. And that has given us scale and reach a massive push and made it much larger. And that's really the key difference and why this works differently. It doesn't just work in on, on logins only. She's actually addended and well appended, I would say, a whole lot of different identifiers to that which makes it much wider and deeper than anything we've seen before. Susie, you might want to explain that in a little bit, bit more detail. So to on that to that, Susie, firstly, maybe just give a really top-line summary of who and what is near and why that matters, why they matter or it matters. Mm-hmm. But also, as sort of Pippa's sort of hinted, you've been working on this for between 40 and 100 years. <laughs> what was the catalyst to get the disparate units to pile in on this initiative? Because, you know, I've sort of circled around the media sector for a long time. News Corp, it's been hard to corral the units at News Corp, but it's been done. So what was the catalyst and what is near? Why does that matter? And welcome, Susie. Uh, Thank you. Lovely to be here. So I guess taking the second one first, the catalyst really was that each of our our three businesses very simply recognised that our data proposition is is stronger together. All three of us have robust and, and strong audience data. So that's News Corp Publishing, that's Foxtel and that's REA. That's Foxtel Group and that's REA. And Foxtel Group, of course, including Binge and KO. 
all three of us, um, as you'd appreciate, have, you know, we have robust audiences and we've all got very robust ways of collecting information, data about those audiences, what they do when they are, you know, with us on a part of our network. Up until now, though, those data sources have been separate. And, you know, when we started talking about this, there was immediate recognition across all of the groups that in being able to combine and bring together all of that amazing data into a central location and match it together is going to give us a very, very deep understanding of our audience's interests and in many cases, you know, that those interests point to their purchase intent, things that they're going to want to buy. And so, you know, we've been able to, as Pippa said, bring together information about an audience member who uh, might subscribe to uh, KO and to Binge, uh, what they watch, what they consume and their habits on those platforms. We then are able to identify that that audience member is also on uh, realestate.com.au and they're looking at properties to purchase. Uh, and then they're also a subscriber to The Australian and a regular visitor to news.com.au. Uh, we're able to bring together all of their um, browsing and content consumption habits from all of those disparate places. And so that gives us a really clear understanding of what they're interested in. And as I say, that often gives us a very clear understanding of what they're interested in buying. The other thing that we've been able to do then is work to match all of that incredible audience and content consumption information with the data that we get from our uh, data partners. So News Corp, we've got about 13 commercial data partnerships now. Um, And they are with organisations like Flybys, who give us, obviously, all of the Coles transaction data, with MasterCard, who gives us, you know, credit card transaction data from about 30 different product categories across the spectrum. We have information from sites like productreview.com.au, which is the largest um, consumer product review site in Australia, which gives us a very clear understanding of what products people are searching for in the moment. And then, of course, our partnership with NIA, who to date have given us location data. And I'll talk a little bit about NIA in a second. But when we bring all of that rich information about what our audiences are doing outside our network, what they're buying, where they go, their other interests and their other habits, we bring that together with all of that um, information that we have about our audiences from across our three networks. You get an incredibly rich view of those audiences and a really robust way of identifying the audience segments who are going to be interested in your product or your category and being able to target them. Got it. Near. Near, yes. So Near have become a large data aggregation organisation. They started out um, specialising in bringing together uh, location data. And that's where our partnership uh, started with them. Near get location data from about 17 million Australian devices. And so we were able to work with them in bringing in that location information from those devices and matching those devices to our audience uh, where possible to be able to understand, you know, where our audiences go. And the, the two benefits that that's really brought us is if we can understand that we've got a group of people who are regularly uh, seen in a gym, you know, two or three times a week, 
we match that then to the information that we have about our audiences on our side. And we can see that, you know, that group of people is also really interested in health and lifestyle content on body and soul and on news.com.au. And that starts to become therefore a very interesting proposition for brands who want to target um, people with health and lifestyle messages. And the other thing that that location data has also given us off the back of that is then the ability to understand of the people who were targeted with a campaign on our network, whether they actually then went in to a retail outlet off the back of being targeted with that message. Based, I guess, on the device showing up in that retail store. That's exactly right, based on the device being seen in that retail store. So that's been a huge benefit for a lot of our brands and for a lot of our retailers because we're able to actually show that, you know, we drove a certain number of people directly into store uh, from being targeted with that campaign. And we show that against, you know, we show that as a metric against people who weren't targeted with the ad. And, uh, you know, we've done about a dozen or so studies along those lines and every single campaign shows that we're able to drive a really significant increase in people going into store as a result of being exposed to the campaign on the network. Really interesting. So that's been our kind of, I guess, heritage with NIR over the last three years, if you can call three years a heritage. And then the other thing that NIR has done uh, over about the last 12 months is, as Pippa um, mentioned, they've built up their own identity solution. And they've done that by um, sourcing Australian email addresses. Uh, So they have gone and and sourced from various different commercial sources about 16 million Australian email addresses, all of which have consent attached to them to be shared and to be matched. And NIA manages that through their relationships. And they've been able to bring those uh, emails into their data ecosystem and match them to all of their near IDs. And from there, we've matched all of our News Corp IDs to their near IDs. And that's where we get this really strong connection then to 16 million Australian email addresses, which we can offer to our clients to match their customer databases. Hopefully we'll have enough time to have a really interesting conversation around consent, privacy, transparency and all that, because it's a really interesting subject that's coming at us. So, but Pippa, first... You know, you've been quite a vocal critic of the tech platforms in terms of their march and their power and their impact in the market. All of this, why does this mean or why does this make news now competitive with big tech? What's the difference here or what's you've got a like-for-like product? Because that's essentially what is giving you some uh, wind in the sails. Correct, Paul. I could sum it up in one word. It's scale. So prior to these announcements, we would have been able to put our hand on our heart and say, we've got you know, about 2.9 million logged in customers. Today, we can put our hand on our heart and say, now with the near deal, we can recognise 16 million individuals, which takes us up to the level of big tech. And I would say in many ways, we are more transparent and we are more permeable than our friends over in big tech. Their walled gardens are famously strong um, and famously impermeable. Mm. I think what you'll find with news and many of the local publishers, we've battled to reach them on scale, but we have possibly surpassed them. Um, And I would say this for all of the local publishers and broadcasters in terms of ease of use and willingness to share learnings and information. 
obviously in very privacy compliant ways, but we definitely do not come to this from a monopoly-like or a duopoly-like position where, oh, this is our information. Once you come within our walled gardens, that's all our information. So we are not taking that kind of approach. Which is the frustration that I'm increasingly hearing, certainly from brands and marketers, is that what they put into the platforms, nothing comes back out in terms of shared intelligence, understanding of what the user's doing. It's all harvested and held. Is that what we're talking about? Exactly, Paul. So, you know, we're very focused at news. And again, I would say this for all of the local um, publishers and broadcasters. We're obviously really focused on creating client solutions. And in order to get to those really great client solutions, we get a lot of learnings, which we then share with them. And we see it as we're going on a journey together. And as long as we're all using clean rooms, as long as we're all privacy compliant, there is no reason not to go on this together. And I think that shared learning is absolutely what gives us a massive advantage. Well, give us an example to a retailer or a, you know, a travel operator or whoever. What sort of feedback, learnings, data comes back to the advertiser or the marketer from, say, News Corp mm. that wouldn't happen from a Google or a Facebook? What more do they get? Susie, this might be a good time to talk about Catalog Connect and how we actually can really lean in and reach out to our partners and really help them with their content marketing strategies. So Susie, let me ask this, what don't people get from Google or Facebook? So they get very little insight into what the consumer is doing outside the Google or Facebook networks. So there's, you know, little to no access to transaction data, to what they're buying outside the wall gardens. There's very little insight about, uh, you know, deep insight about their behaviours and their life stage and then their demographics. So those are the sorts of things that we can start to bring to the table. So, you know, if we took a, a great FMCG brand like uh, Heinz, for example, we can show exactly what those audiences are doing across our network. You know, the fact that they're going to taste.com.au and they're looking at dinner recipes, you know, regularly and that they are also light buyers of canned goods in supermarkets through our flyby data and that, you know, there's there's potentially an opportunity to increase the frequency and their volume. We're able to show some clear demographics about where those audiences live and about, you know, the frequency of their shopping habits, et cetera, et cetera. And then if we took a, a travel retailer, which might have you know, a fairly large and established database of, of clients who've previously travelled with them or who have expressed interest in getting information from them. Uh, we can take that database, we can match it to ours and create, you know, a segment of customers who have, you know, previously travelled. And we can again kind of show this similar sort of intelligence about what we know those customers are doing. So we can show, you know, which customers are regularly on escape.com.au and are searching for specific types of holidays, beach holidays or uh, luxury cruises or or fantasy escapes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we can also show them that, you know, what else those people are interested in across the network. You know, they might be interested particularly in health and lifestyle messaging right. and in sports. So that starts to give our 
travel clients information about how they should be talking to those consumers, you know, because if they're particularly interested in health and fitness, well, then, you know, weave that into the messaging about the beach holiday package or about the cruise package. And that's how we can start to really help inform some of those strategies. And it also means, Paul, that when they go and buy in other places, they take the knowledge that they got from working with us and that informs their next buy. So the idea is that every time they target, they create segmentation and they do their attribution, they can use the knowledge that that we've shared with them to improve every single time. And if you're a marketer, that's really important. Just for the Philistines like me as well, we've talked about CDPs and DMPs, so data management platforms Mm -hmm. and customer data platforms. Mm. Just for the Philistines, why does this matter for marketers, the difference between a DM, what this migration from DMPs to CDPs to either of you, just a top line thought on that? I'll go first, Susan, just give the really top line, easy explanation. (laughs) You can come in behind me with the more technical one. So at a a 50,000 foot perspective, a DMP really gives you, it's where you do your customer segmentation and you get information about your audience. It doesn't resolve them to individuals. And that's what the CDP does. So the CDP, no matter where I enter the news ecosystem, whether I enter using a phone, a laptop, you know, no matter what device, no matter what login, it resolves me to the, let's say, hashed ID, hash one, two, three, four, five. And no matter when I come back, I'm always that persistent ID. This is really important for marketers because if you're talking frequency capping, you really need to know that you're not just talking to devices. Uh, you're not just talking to a lot of, you know, lots of people have different email addresses and, and different logins. This resolves it down to one person. So this is takes us to what we call true people-based marketing. Right. You understand who the individual is and it resolves them down to that person and then it attaches all their behaviours, their intentions, all that sort of stuff. But it is persistent and it's incredibly important for frequency capping. So that's a unified ID. Susie, anything to add to that? As she said, it allows us to bring together multiple IDs and then attach, you know, the behaviours and the attributes that we see across the networks to those IDs, as well as the data that we get from our partners. And that's what really creates the richness. So I just want to get to a a couple of other themes before we wrap this out and run out of time. Firstly, video commerce. There's a lot of talk around this. It's a really interesting, I saw the product um, at your roadshow a couple of weeks ago, and it does from the outside, untrained eye, it looked like it might actually be seamless and works. So just talk us through what this video commerce initiative is and what the attractiveness to the market uh, will be. Well, uh, you know, it's really based on the understanding that post-COVID, people don't go shopping online. They're always shopping online. Shopping experiences are just uh, being thrown at you left, right, centre. Now, the problem being a, you know, a large publisher, as we are in news, is that until now, we've had to break up the customer journey. So someone may have been in news.com.au, they may have read the best of headphones story. And then let's say we've even we've gone so far as to put links into the headphone story. We click on the link and there may be an interstitial page, but ultimately then have to completely leave our ecosystem, enter another ecosystem, do the transaction. And after the transaction's finished, well, you're kind of nowhere. 
So the, the holy grail is to be able to facilitate a seamless one-click transaction from within the content. And we had a first stab of it with the uh, Vogue Shopping Night Inn last year, where we actually made the fashion parade uh, clickable. And, and as the you know the models and mannequins are, are walking down, you go, oh, I like that outfit. You can click on it, and then you could actually buy it from within. But it wasn't as seamless as we would have liked. But we realised that we were onto something. And then in our conversations around the market, uh, we also realised that no one had really done this well. A lot of people were talking about headless commerce. A lot of people were talking about one-click shopping, you know, on-site monetization, customer sharing. They're all buzzwords that were going around. But we did actually find one supplier, Voodoo, and they showed us something that had real promise. And so we have entered into an agreement with Voodoo. And what's so wonderful about it, as you saw on that video, is that as I could be in a video or I can be in a piece of content, it may be an image, it may be text, I'm interested in the Dyson vacuum cleaner or all the headphones. I click on it, a box comes up within the content. I get to make my color choices, size choices, everything that you would expect. Because 75% of people already have their credit card details loaded into their browser, it just populates it. And then you just go ping, click, buy. The confirmation email goes to your email address. A little, you know, a little box tells you that you've received your email confirmation. So, you know, it's all great. And then you click out of that little box and you are still in the video. You are still in that piece of content. Uh -huh. And for us, it just seems like uh -huh. absolutely the way forward. Now, being that incredibly easy from a user experience viewpoint means that there's a lot of smarts sitting behind it and we did very extreme due diligence on these guys um, and we've rolled a lot of our e-commerce experts and had them doing very very heavy dd on them and we're incredibly excited about what this holds for us in the future so it does plug into just about all the e-commerce platforms yes it does shopify yep. magenta and beyond yeah Susie, i mean both of you have been doing these presentations to market Susie, what has been the response on this one you know, sometimes these things are great ideas and it does sound great, but does the market and do advertisers have the capability to actually deploy this sort of initiative uh, from their end? Mm. Yeah, well, look, I mean, the feedback has been incredibly strong and we've got really, really high levels of interest. And one of the first questions asked is, well, how do I integrate my platform? And so working with Voodoo, Voodoo are developing a whole series of APIs, as they're called, a whole series of connectors that are designed to make the process of plugging in the commerce platform as easy as possible. And we are looking to make that a very lightweight execution on the retailer or the seller to be able to plug their platform in. So I guess the any client listening who has a an online commerce offering now will know that they will have either an agency that they're working with who manages that platform for them or they will have in-house they will have in-house resource and so you know we're going to have to work with clients on an individual basis to figure out the best and easiest way for them to plug in and that's that's absolutely going to be you know part of the process 
Now, I think you talked about, or Pippa's talked about, I'm going to probably make this figure up, was it 30 or $40 million you've done in, in commerce sales so far? This will change the game. Yeah, so we've got an, an affiliate program at the moment. So that program operates with a, a number of different affiliate platforms and we create content about specific products and, and categories and uh, we have links in there that link out via the affiliate program to a brand's commerce site. And that program's been running for nearly two years and we have, a, we have as I say, dedicated journalists who are writing uh, content every day for various different products and the result of that is that we've driven $45 million in sales from those links out to um, our brand's commerce platforms. So they're there for brand and product partners. So that's for brand and and product partners. And that is linking out of our environment into a different marketplace or into a specific e-commerce site. So we think that the new experience that we're building, which allows the consumer to buy directly in the video on the site without ever leaving um, the environment, but buying it directly with the seller through their platform plugged into uh, ours, we think that that kind of seamless experience has got the potential to really drive some significant transactions. Paul, it's really worth making this point. We are not building a marketplace. We are not going into competition with our retailers. News has had a very long history of doing one thing, and that is turning our audience, like telling stories that allow us to turn our audience into customers for our partners. This is the logical extension of that. And this is the smoothest execution we think we've ever seen. And that's why it's incredibly exciting for us. Um, and it really allows us a play in video that is unique and differentiated. And that's what we love about it. We're definitely not an also ran here. Got you. Is right. We're not building a marketplace and we're not building a news commerce platform. The consumer is not transacting with us. The consumer is transacting with the seller, uh, with the brand or with the retailer. And, you know, with that, the seller gathers and retains all of the customer data right. and the direct customer relationship. And that's the difference you talked earlier to around the walled gardens, holding that data. That actually goes to the brand or the reseller. Exactly. The seller gets the data. Yeah, that's exactly, exactly. Right. So they, they own the um, customer relationship. It's incredibly important to retailers to own that customer relationship and for us to share data about it. And again, as Susie in the roadshow pointed out, you know, the starting point for this will always be us working with our retailers to use News Connect to highlight where all the intenders are within our network. So we're just not doing blanket shopping everywhere. It's actually going to be incredibly targeted. I punched um, some of those numbers that you talked about into my econometrics uh, modelling, and it's sort of saying that (laughs) maybe in sort of 12 to 18 months, you could generate upwards of 200 million in sales for brand partners. Does that number seem about right? It's a good question. I think at this point, we haven't even sat down and worked that out. We're really concentrating on how do we make this work technically before we've even thought about what does the prize look like until we really make it work? And you'll see us in early July bringing the first clients online. That's when I think we'll have an idea of what the real potential is. 
I don't want to undersell it and I don't want to oversell it. Well, it's a great answer in that you just did. It wasn't an answer, Pippa. So well done there. I got nothing out of you <laughs> on that one. So listen, um, I just want to wrap up with this really, really uh, important final themes around privacy. So from the outside, everything that you talk about that you've done with this looks like it's all consent compliant. It ticks all the privacy boxes. But as both of you know, there's a lot of review coming down the pipeline from the, the Attorney General around privacy and so forth. Is anything of what News Corp is doing here looks like it might you know, run into some privacy hurdles like everyone else in 12, 18 months' time? Well, again, that's a little bit of a crystal ball question. Until we get an indication from the government about what that privacy legislation looks like. And at the moment, we're getting a lot of mixed signals. A lot of people are making claims, mm. but no one really knows the truth. Until we actually get an indication from the government about what this could look like, it's impossible for us to tell you whether we meet the requirements or not. Today, we 100% meet the requirements. So the planning then, and like every, and it's just not News Corp on its own here, and this is the conversation I have quite a bit, is is the uncertainty around what is coming, but plan for now, based, plan and operate based on what the regime is now. Is that That's essentially what, what your approach is. Definitely for privacy. I think, you know, there are two conversations going on. There's the one about how the privacy legislation may play out. The other one, obviously, is will Google deprecate cookies, third-party cookies out of Chrome. Mm. Unlike the privacy one where it's harder to tell what it might look like, every single publisher and broadcaster marketer, I think, needs to hope for the best but plan for the worst. And so planning for the worst means you must have your first-party data strategy absolutely in place by July 23. Great points. Susie, any thoughts on that? I think the only thing to add is that once we know uh, what any kind of proposed legislation looks like, if we're required to change, if we're required to pivot, you know, we will. Um, I think that there's no doubt that this is a constantly evolving landscape and all of us as marketers, as publishers, as agencies, we all are just going to have to constantly uh, keep evolving in this space. I think the Australian government is in the luxurious position of being able to have a look at GDPR. Now, the intention of GDPR and the effect of GDPR, I think they were wildly different. And I think who GDPR was set out to control possibly didn't happen. And I think the Australian government is probably doing a very good job at learning lessons from that rollout and making sure that it doesn't get repeated here. Got it. Okay, to wrap up, you said right at the start that this wasn't smoke and mirrors, that it's not a, a going to happen. This is a, a project and a bunch of initiatives that are ready and being rolled out. So what is next? What does the next 12 months look like for News Corp? Well, the next 12 months, you know, obviously we've gone into the market at the end of the roadshow and said, come to us, let's sit down and, and do the sessions. Those sessions started this week down in Victoria. Um, that's where Susie is right now, where we actually work with individual clients to work up how these solutions will work for them. And that's incredibly exciting. And then in terms of the video commerce, it's the one where, you know, we've just had a tsunami of interest kind of wash over us. Again, you know, managing expectations and making sure that we choose in the first instance some client part retail partners that we can get a couple of uh, betas out. And then our intention is to having working campaigns up by early July. So hit FY23 running with uh, some ad units that have this shoppable capability within them. 
And then what you'll see us start doing after that is you will actually start seeing us investing in bespoke video that showcases these, you know, this retail and these and these products. And that is will be a, a signal, a big difference for News Corp. And you'll see us investing in audiovisual storytelling. But again, we will do it in this area, in around this commerce area. Really interesting stuff there, and, and I look forward to seeing um, all these initiatives in market and, and what becomes. So to Pippi and Susie Cardwell, may the data forces be with you, and um, <laughs> I'm sure we'll loop around in coming months. Stay safe. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Thanks Paul. Paul. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.